You're listening to City's Playground, a podcast by Leadership Foundations, and I'm Rick Enlow, and I'm here with Dave Hillis. Good to see you, Dave. Good to see you, Rick. It's been a while since we've been across the table, but now we're in episode three of this particular series. Already, yeah. Yeah, and, and we're talking about the, well, really a theological framework for Leadership Foundations, but based on this incredible year, which is the 40th anniversary year. That's absolutely right. We're 40 years old. And you know, uh, just for those people who are just tuning in, and uh, because this, this particular podcast is on the very brink of going viral, but uh, <laughs> but in case somebody just uh, discovered us, uh, there are a couple more in this particular series. And we, in fact, talked about uh, last week um, this idea of remembrance, because obviously 40 years is a, is a chance to kind of look up and, and ponder and reflect and remember. But we were looking at places in the in the scriptures where uh, we get some instruction on what, what that, you know, some ways to understand that. Last uh, episode, we talked about the the Lord's table or, you know, the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the comments I made, Rick, and I'd want to have our listeners hear this again, is that I think a real characteristic of uh, mature, growing, thriving organizations uh, is this ability to remember uh, whose shoulders they stand on. Mm -hmm. And part of the way we, we shape that theologically, at least in leadership foundations, is the Lord's table where there is this moment where Jesus is now, you know, uh, take this bread, this drink this cup, and do this in remembrance of me. And that word uh, in liturgy is, uh, I always never pronounce it quite right, but it's uh, anonymesis, and it effectively means that in the act of remembering, you make something present. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in a Eucharistic sense, you know, here you are listening to the words of institution, but by the time you do this in remembrance of me, you are actually experiencing the Lord's Supper in real time. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one of the things that we're really trying to think about is, is how do we think about some of these events, these people, these places that obviously did happen um, maybe a long time ago over the last 40 years, but I think in the very act of remembering them, uh, we begin to participate in what Sam Shoemaker thought about the city of Pittsburgh mm -hmm. or Reed Carpenter felt, you know, uh, at Mount Washington. Uh, the second kind of theological idea, and I've always loved this image, is where the Israelites were commanded uh, to uh, build what was called an Ebenezer stone. And the whole idea behind an Ebenezer stone was that, you know, you would uh, have the Red Sea part or manna would be rained down. And I think God knew that the Israelites, probably like all of us, have uh, pretty forgetful memories. Mm -hmm. And so in order to remember these loving, saving, gracious acts of God, he said, you know, take some stones and put them together in such a way um, that it'll remind you uh, continually about, about uh, who and what this God is. So I also view, uh, you know, doing something like this with you, uh, kind of jumping into some of these events as a kind of Ebenezer stone for uh, the global network. Mm -hmm. uh, our 40 plus leadership foundations throughout the world that are doing just extraordinary stuff. I think part of what we want to be able to do is to say, here's an Ebenezer stone you can be uh, reminded of in terms of God's uh, faithfulness to the LF movement. So, yeah, well, that's so cool. You know, I actually have a friend and his business is, is based on, uh, you know, a sort of 
uh, people calling him for, you know, requiring his services. So he never really knows, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of a future he has. So one of the things that he started doing about five years ago, and I was kind of participating with him, was um, leaning and, and kind of trusting that things would happen when they needed to. And of course, this is pretty measurable because if you don't get the work, you know, then, you know, right. you, you, get, right. you can't, you don't have any deposits to make. So, but one of the things he did is uh, he had a stump in his yard and every time um, there would be kind of a moment of uh, prayerful trust and something would happen, he put a, a stone hmm. um, on the stump, right? Mm-hmm. And then of course we started kind of getting sophisticated and saying, well, if it was no big deal, small stone, you know, <laughs> if it was kind of, you're really up against it, right. you know, we'd find a little right. bit bigger. And it is funny, every once in a while, he'll send me uh, a text with a, a, you know, a photo attached mm-hmm. and it'll be that, that stump. And it, you can't even hardly put another stone on there because it's just, exactly. a, it's like a five year little mountain yeah. of stones. What a, what a, uh, you know, a really amazing reminder. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's a beautiful image. Yeah. So uh, in, in the same way, uh, one of the things that's really great about the 40th anniversary, as opposed to the 140th anniversary, <laughs> is that some of these people are still around. That's right. And that's what, what I think is amazing. Not only the, the book, you know, City as Playground, but you know, the, the idea that we can hear the voices of some of the founders and some of the some of the people that developed uh, these early uh, theological frameworks, yep. including last episode where we had Reed yep. uh, begin to you know talk to us and share memories, because it's one thing to you know to to tell the story, another thing to hear somebody you know articulate it. And they were there, yeah. and they are the ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that, actually, I think that one of the things that was so great about our time with uh, with Reed was recalling that. Even Reed's own sense of what took place mm-hmm. uh, 40 years ago has continued to mature. Yeah, and he now thinks about it and reflects on it a little bit differently than he did uh, 10 years ago yeah. or 20 years ago. And so, that's exactly and precisely why we've got to, you know, uh, grab a hold of these kinds of things: is that they're living, breathing realities, and and we want to pay attention to. Yeah, them. that's one of the phrases I remember hearing a Reed say upon reflection exactly you know and i think yeah. that's that's a that is a very powerful takeaway for all of us yeah and sometimes even some of the things that uh that we haven't thought about recently it it, it uh it's worth uh you know hitting the pause button and reflecting mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. and then in this episode uh, we're going to do that again with another uh incredible voice uh from from the history uh this 40-year history of leadership foundations yeah. and uh, that is uh the sort of like uh you know, kind of the source code for urban ministry for <laughs> so many of us. I mean, like we're talking. I think that's uh, true. Ray yeah, Baki. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I. Uh, it's it's it is hard, um, and I think your introduction right there was just perfect. It's hard to overstate uh, Ray's influence on urban ministry mm-hmm. uh, as we understand it today. I mean, certainly there would be no leadership foundations, at least in the shape that we are right now, apart mm-hmm. from Ray and I. I oftentimes say, uh, you know, to people, Rick, that uh, in some ways, to use a biblical image, uh, Reed was our Peter, right? Mm-hmm. He was the yeah. apostolic head. He was the one that, you know, kind of heard the vision, got tapped on the shoulder and went to it. Um, but he needed, um, you know, a Paul uh, in the same way that Peter did. And, and so in leadership foundations, um, our, our Paul, our equivalent of a Paul was, was Ray Bakke. Um, it was, it was Ray who was able to kind of come in and see this wild and wooly thing called Reed Carpenter and the idea of the Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation and having a vision that it would become as famous for God as it was for Steele. 
Um, and when many people would walk away from that or just say, we're not quite sure what Reed was drinking that day mm -hmm. when he had that vision. Um, it, was, it was Ray that came in and said, ah, actually, there's something there. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, um, time and time again, you'll see it in the scripture itself. And so that, that Peter uh, needing Paul was, uh, you, know, you know, certainly Reed needing Ray. Well, and I know that, uh, that what's so amazing, too, is that, that uh, where Pittsburgh was sort of the source of leadership foundations, um, Ray began to see that this is not unique to that city, but again, then That's began right. to, uh, to realize that the text of Scripture actually speaks to cities. And he's the author of Urban Christian, mm -hmm. A Theology as Big as a City. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, not only just an author, but a practitioner. Yeah. You know, I mean, didn't just say uh, theoretically, this is what I think might be helpful, but, you know, embedded himself and, yeah. and, and demonstrated the love of a city, yeah. in, you know, in, in the greater Chicago area. So, yeah. Yeah. I think to re, uh, restate that, Rick, I mean, that is, it was a bit of, of I think, Ray's genius um, is that he, I mean, you know, the old Karl Barth idea about that the proper posture of a Christian, you know, is to hold the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in another and to mm -hmm. do it with equal integrity. Well, that that in a, you know, uh, a nutshell was Ray. I mean, he he believed that, you know, there was something to the Bible, uh, but the way he was taught it, uh, the felt boards of uh, yeah. Sunday school times past uh, was not adequate for what was taking place in Chicago or even what he noticed Reed was doing in a place like Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And so very courageously, uh, he took, uh, well, he's taken his whole life, but there was a particular time in his life where he took just a year uh, to uh, pull out of seminary, get out onto the streets, essentially hold his Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other and say, these two have to be able to speak to one another. They yeah. have to converse. And uh, it was Ray and just this rich, rich uh, mining of material uh, that he pulled out. I, mean, I still remember, I mean, this is one small example, but Ray um, talking to a group of people about uh, Moses's mother, uh, who was a welfare mother. Hmm. And it was just the statement, and everyone's kind of like going, <laughs> Moses's mother was, well, he said, yeah, he says, you know, right? She. I had a baby illegally, um, took it down to the river, um, got the Pharaoh's daughter to raise it, and then got herself hired as a, as a midwife. Um, and it was just like this description. And he said, well, that's exactly what it was. And so he kind of lifted up this idea that Moses' mother is the matron saint of, of welfare mothers. And mm -hmm. again, it was just this wonderful, lovely, you know, empowering ennobling image um, that was right there, but no one had ever seen it. And Ray does that time and time again. Yeah, well, you know, his uh, contribution, at least to my thinking, was to to uh, change uh, my view of the city into such a hopeful place versus, because mm -hmm. uh, I don't know where, I, I, don't, I don't think this was systematic in any way when I was growing up, but somehow uh, going through just, uh, you know, the Sunday school routine or going to church as a, you know, a kid, mm -hmm. I got sent the message Cities are uh, places where everyone who's fleeing from God can get together for their godless behavior. And, you know, for instance, Tower of Babel every time, yeah. going to kick God out and try to, you know, build a skyscraper. And all of a sudden, you know, you meet Ray and he's, he begins to say, well, now the Bible is an urban book yep. and the city is like God's great gift 
to yeah. humanity and yeah. it consolidates all the services and all of a sudden and i'm thinking i'm going with this guy was, <laughs> i'm not kidding it was just such a doubt right. like everything else i'd ever heard was such a downer yeah yeah no that's yeah i mean that's perfect yeah, that's, Perfect. that's, and that really is, that is my version of summing up Dave's book, <laughs> City as Playground. Cause I mean, really, I don't know where that came from. Um, somehow, uh, we took, uh, you know, uh, Charles Wesley and, you know, th- you know, and whoever else were, you know, mm-hmm. the foundation of how I grew up and, mm-hmm. and, and t- turned it upside down. But mm-hmm. this is what's so great about hearing, um, you know, Ray's voice on these kinds of things to, t- cause his, his observations and practices, um, that, you know, are historically, you know, embedded in the last 40 years are, are just as relevant today. Yeah, exactly. You know, in yeah. any of the cities that we're at work in. So um, let's, let's, let's let Ray speak let's for himself. Let's do it. I huh? think, yeah, he'll do a much better job of it. <laughs> <laughs> so here's Ray Bakke. And what I did was basically start studying Chicago big time. But the second thing I did was I'm going to find a biblical theology as big as the city of Chicago. Hmm. Uh, because I didn't have one. Uh, I'm proof you can read the Bible in Hebrew and Greek and not know what it says <laughs> about <laughs> cities. Um, I, I had taken courses on issues like the virgin birth, which is mentioned two times in the text. I would believe it if it were mentioned once. It's an important idea. Mm-hmm. But so first thing I did was take the Hebrew-Greek concordance and discover that... Um, the word city or cities occurs in the Bible 1,250 times. Hmm. I and, and again, the virgin birth twice. Yeah, okay, yeah, so, as yeah. opposed to this. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and, and not only that, the Bible begins in a garden, but it ends in a city. Heaven is described as a city. In mm-hmm. Jerusalem, the earthly pattern is a pattern for the eternal city. and mm-hmm. that, That's all fleshed out. But anyway... Um, then I decided, well, I'm going to see how many times the word city occurs um, in each description. So I discovered, for example, 51 texts on Sodom and Gomorrah. 51, 34 in the old, 17 in the new. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things I learned is, my goodness, 10 people could have saved that city. Mm. If you read Genesis right. 18, right. God said, you find... Nine other believers, I'll save it. That's when I learned that the presence of the godly is the gift of preservation for the ungodly. That is 10 Mm. Christians in that city Mm -hmm. can make everybody else a survivor. Uh, So having Christian present. This is the kind of equivalent of the salt and light deal. You got to have Christians down there uh, in the nitty gritty of the city. Um, I began to study then uh, and count the cities and began to do case studies of the cities. I learned that, you know, in the Sodom story, for example, uh, God clearly did destroy that city, but wanted to save it and could have. Uh, I began to look at the other principles involved there, which were it's okay to pray for a city. Abraham prayed for it. Um, But as I began to look at cities like Jericho and Bethel and Jerusalem, Antioch, Nineveh, uh, Nineveh. Yeah. oh yes, big mm-hmm. time, Babylon. Mm-hmm. I was discovering a lot of new principles. Well, that's from a conversation, Dave, that we had at Ray's house mm-hmm. just about three years ago. Yeah, and uh, it's great to hear his voice again. And and uh, and you know, his 
discoveries uh, in terms of the, especially the way the texts were speaking to uh, to urban uh, context, that became really the template uh, that leadership foundations uh, got hold of and then and began to extend to uh, cities all over. Is that right? Yeah, um, just a little bit of background to that, Rick. So one of the things that Ray, I think, very cleverly, um, well, cleverly, insightfully, I think, discovered was that there were approaches to the city that were, in the end, not helpful and maybe even uh, kind of uh, violent. Um, Mm -hmm. So he talked a lot about the whole idea that, you know, crusades would come in. And again, he was a friend of Billy Graham and, and others, but the notion you know, and even the image that, uh, you know, what would come into a city is this crusade and it would take on, you know, the evils of the city, preach the word of God. I mean, a very kind of anti-urban, you know, sort of view and mm-hmm. and then would leave. And of course, the, the people would be sitting there kind of with their, their hands open. And, and again, Ray would like, you know, naturally say, you know, there's a place at times for crusades, but that ought not be uh, the primary way. And then he would talk about this whole idea about there's this conference movement. And the whole notion there is that, you know, the city's in trouble because it uh, lacks certain expertise or information. And mm-hmm. again, Ray would you know acknowledge the fact that there's probably at times a place for some good information. But what he really began to think about was not crusade or conference, but consultation. Um, how do you come into a city and begin to think about the positive things that are happening? How do you create a platform, to your point, Rick, where it is in dialogue with the people who actually live in that city. Mm-hmm. And so it was that consultation platform um, that Ray developed um, that LF really grabbed a hold of. In fact, many of our leadership foundations back in those early days, and this was true about me here in, in the Tacoma, Seattle area, my, my first kind of major initiative as the Northwest Leadership Foundation was to put on a week-long uh, consultation and in that week we went from uh, five different churches you know uh, Catholic Church Orthodox Church Evangelical Church African-American Pentecostal Church we engaged the media we interviewed the mayor um, and you know by the end of the week um, you know you were sitting with just again this kind of treasure chest of now mm-hmm. relationships and ways of thinking about the city. And so yeah, that, that platform was adopted by LF and really gave us a jump start in our, our early days moving forward. And, and certainly one thing I've heard from you that the one of the important nuances of that idea that it pushes against the conference and crusade, by the way, that just the idea that it was called a crusade it was historically kind of interesting to me. <laughs> but, uh, um, but, you know, the idea that... Uh, God was already at work in the city. That's and right. so many of those other, yeah. um, you know, sort of approaches were sort of like now God showing up when this thing shows up. That's exactly and right. And I think the consultation idea was that we're going to consult with the Holy Spirit and, you know, and, you know, see, yeah. see God at work. Right. Yep. And so that was really and a, that that line, a theology as big as the city. It's not great. I, I mean, that, that is that's that's the big idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I told Ray when his uh, book came out, because I actually was uh, quite close to him during those times, and I said, Ray, the title alone is worth the price of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do, I think it captures it exactly. Um, we want to be, in, in fact, our theological people. We recognize the fact that cities um, at their core are spiritual. And so to engage it at any level of kind of relevance and effectiveness 
uh, you're going to have to have you know some kind of theological uh, framework. But you know our former theology uh, feels at times so puny uh, yeah. over and against a city of you know Delhi that's 25 million and yeah. multiple religions. And so where you know do you begin to find that? And, and Ray really was uh, on the vanguard of, of helping us discover yes, in fact. There is a theology uh, as big as the city. Yeah, and you know, and even as that transfers to the, the idea that that nothing uh, outgrows uh, God, right? Know what I mean, because <laughs> it does feel we did. It felt like yeah. cities got too big for God. Like, yeah. well, you know, we were cool, you know, in antiquity, but now, you know, it's it's it got it got out of God's scope. And Absolutely. I think that's so true in so many areas of our lives. You know, we 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 need to be reminded of that a theology as big as and you know, blank, Yeah. you know, and, yeah. and then of course the idea that, um, cities, um, were obviously places, but they were alive, right? They were living, breathing, yeah. you know, organisms. And, and even as we've, uh, uh, listened to others that we've talked to on this podcast, where people start beginning to use language, like, you know, loving your city, yeah. right? Well, this is all sort of Ray, uh, you know, originated, right? Yeah. He, yeah. He was, he was the, you know, uh, as, as best as anybody can say this, um, uh, really the originator of just a lot of the theology, the phrases, the, the images that we use. I mean, you may mention, Rick, about, you know, my book, The City is Playground, and the whole idea about Leadership Foundation for rallying around that idea. But that, I, that phrase would not have, have ever probably seen the light of day uh, if Ray had not been, you know, my mentor and, and uh, teacher and all of that. Yeah. Uh, it was it was his initial kind of pushing me a bit and uh, and and asking me, you know, these questions. Mm-hmm. And at some point I said, yeah, it's a, it's a playground. Yeah. And, you know, and it was, yeah. Yeah, it was that. So. And but at the same time, you know, uh, truly a mentor because you drew that from the text. I mean, it was in there. Right. I mean, it's in the text, but yeah. but when you're not looking at it as an urban text, you know, you just read right past it. Yep. Yeah. That's so right. that's right. Well, well now, um, let's uh, let's listen again uh, to another excerpt where uh, you and Ray interact, and uh, we'll respond to that. That'd be great. If I took you on Paul's second missionary journey real quick, I'd show you he never uses the same approach twice. I mean, he went to the cultural capital Athens in Acts. Uh, uh, 17, and he, he did a museum tour, sculptures, <laughs> plazas, mm-hmm. you know, it's a cultural city. And then he went to the scholar's place and quoted Greek poets. He understood the context. Athens is a cultural capital, intellectual capital. It wasn't any longer the political capital. That had moved on to Rome. But culturally, he was appropriate. He then went to Corinth. Corinth well, was and a baby before you leave Athens. Yeah. And if, if I remember the text right, actually it gets to a place where he says, um, you know, I've taken this museum tour. Yeah. And I noticed that there's a statue that exactly. does not have a name. Um, mm-hmm. I'm here actually to tell you its name. Yeah, yeah, that's and, right. It's and I beautiful. You, yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's kind of how the Orthodox work in mission. Hmm. They've picked that theme up. Mm-hmm. You go in listening for the Spirit, and then you start where that is, mm-hmm. instead of coming in and announcing your own mm-hmm. message. Mm-hmm. So Paul's discovery learning, and then he starts by commending them. Oh, you you did a great job of trying to identify every God, and you didn't want to offend any one of them. <laughs> so you have this statue. Right. Oh, that's the one I want to talk to you about. Right. That's the one who became yeah. related to me. 
Uh, so Paul knew how to move in. Now, when he was in Rome, he was in house arrest. Chapter 28, verse 30, he said he rented a house for two two years. Mm-hmm. Verse 23 said he argued with the Jews in that house from morning till night about the kingdom. But he had six associates out in the city. Tychicus, Epaphras, Aristarchus, Lucas, Demas, and Marcus, and they're all out in the plaza sharing the gospel. And when they found these people, they would bring them over to Paul's house. You see, he he had a team in that case. Um, So everywhere Paul went, Corinth, he started, well, the the church was so split, he didn't join either one of them. He created his own business, tent making or leather work, which the biggest piece of leather is a tent, but furniture, clothing, shoes, all tents you make out of leather. Uh, One scholar has written about this tent making and suggests that that was the most strategic business in an ancient city, Mm -hmm. uh, the Middle East, leather work. The animal keepers would sell you their skins. The blue-collar people would make the products, and the upper classes would buy the products. So by Paul being in that business, he was in touch with this whole range sociologically. And he supported himself in Corinth and later on in... uh, couple other cities that way Thessalonica for two years well I love how he said Paul knew how to move in (laughs) you know when he when he talked about Mm -hmm. you know coming to Athens because Mm -hmm. I think that is a uh, huge faux pas when people decide they want to try to get involved in um, you know certainly urban ministry but almost anything else is that you know there's there's not this you know in sort of inquisitive uh uh, you know, kind of learning and, and, you know, and like walking mm-hmm. in, you know, asking versus telling, mm-hmm. you know, that was really something. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a obviously a very practical uh, expression, Rick, I would say of, you know, those that take the incarnation seriously. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at, at the core of leadership foundations and all that we do, and of course this was a part of the contribution of young life to, us uh, is that we took the incarnation deadly serious um, and it was then Ray that began to say okay here's what the incarnation uh, through the Apostle Paul looks like in a urban city context mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's one of the things for example and this is a classic Ray Bachiaism and this is very central to LF but we have what we call a theology of place mm-hmm. um, and so every one of our local leadership foundations uh, is led <clears throat> by somebody that is you know, a citizen of that city lives there, uh, goes to school there, um, you know, worships there, and it's it's hard to overstate uh, just what a game changer that is when you're actually working in the place uh, yeah. that you um, you know live and breathe and have your being. So yeah, yeah, that's great. And now here's a, a phrase I've heard you say, and you can kind of kind of uncover it again for us. But text without context is pretext. Yeah, it's uh, it's been one of my favorite kind of phrases because I think it captures exactly what uh, Ray, again, helped us uh, understand. But there was a movement, um, and, and there still is, to be quite frank, uh, the whole idea about, you know, here's the Bible, uh, here's the text. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, if you quote the Isaiah passage, and uh, <laughs> in a way you can say something like, um, and it cannot return void. So all you have to do, right, is just get the text out there. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, for those of us uh, in the city, uh, we watched that approach time and time again, and it was like, uh, it's not, it's not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 
uh, this phrase uh, is, yeah, text. I mean, there, there's an important place for text. I mean, the, we, we have a high view of scripture. But if it doesn't pay attention to the context, mm -hmm. you know, that we're in a city in India or that we happen to be in a neighborhood in South Dallas uh, and, and that those contexts are very different, if that text doesn't pay attention to that context, mm -hmm. uh, then it becomes, and, and the word we use is pretext, it's, it's false, mm -hmm. um, or at least not applicable, um, yeah. not, not able to be purposed in a way that it was intended. Yeah. So again, that, that, uh, that idea, Rick, I think you know, for us, uh, we always knew it instinctively, but it was really Ray that gave us kind of the, the theological backbone to say, no, that's, that's actually right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, we could talk more about this, but the notion then that in Paul particularly, uh, he was always going into a city asking the question, what is the context? What is the difference between a Corinth and an Ephesus? Mm -hmm. um, and after he understood that context, he was able to shape the text and thereby really make, uh, you know, I think the message relevant. Yeah, it's interesting too how we're kind of comparing Ray you know, in ministry to Paul, the Apostle Paul, and mm -hmm. then he seems to have a fairly good grasp of what Paul was up to, you know, so it's kind of cool to listen he to does. him. And he now, does. you know, one of the things, though, a lot of times, uh, you know, we, uh, I guess all of us are susceptible, but there's a lot of people who are uh, highly theoretical, highly philosophical, highly, you know, even theological, yeah. but then uh, not necessarily connected practically. And then, of course, the opposite could be true. People that you know are very practically um, you know engaged, but they haven't really stepped back mm -hmm. and you know and, and mm -hmm. maybe don't even operate in a framework. It's more of a you know random. Then this is one of the things I think Ray's gift to us is that he had, I mean, a very uh, you know uh, articulate, defined philosophy, theology, but then boots on the ground. Yeah. You know. Yeah. In fact, you know, it was really I've, I've said this to many of the Leadership Foundation presidents that. You know, we have Reed and we have Ray, and that our best uh, Leadership Foundation work uh, are our presidents that have essentially and almost mysteriously, um, in some kind of alchemy, combined the two of them. Mm -hmm. So that, that if a, a good Leadership Foundation is led by somebody that probably in many ways is, is even perceived as the theologian of that city, mm -hmm. right? Uh, she knows her city better than, than anybody. Uh, but also, you know, has this boots on the ground like yeah. quality that, uh, you know, knows how to get stuff done yeah. and, and to, to kind of, again, sit in that tension, uh, and not allow yourself to go, uh, you know, to one side or the other, um, is, is, is really, I think the genius of it. Yeah. And, and again, uh, uh, mentored, you know, in a, in a very significant and historical way, uh, through Bray. Now, um, one of the other words that comes up, we talked earlier about consultation mm -hmm. as a, a word as opposed to conference or, you know, crusade. But also uh, another word I love that Leadership Foundations, you know, is constantly saying is partnership, you know, because I think that once again reflects mm -hmm. uh, this idea that, hey, you know, uh, we're here and, 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 and it's 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 articulated or whatever laid out certainly yeah. in the uh you know, in, in the most recent um, idea of the, you know, the wheel of change. Yeah. But Ray was, uh, had some early comments on that as well. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, so when you begin to, you know, 
develop this theology as big as a city. Um, one of the immediate ramifications uh, is <laughs> you're going to need to work with some other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it just it almost demands um, that. And so that was, a, again, very encouraging uh, for us early on to recognize that, you know, even as we begin to sharpen up uh, and crisp up our theory of change, which is, you know, of course, uh, engaging leaders of good faith and goodwill, building the capacity of others, uh, and developing joint initiative, and that that is laden with partnership mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah. Again, it was Ray that would talk about. Well, yeah. Well, that's actually in this book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it's like really, are are we all <laughs> change? Yes. You know that kind of uh, theological traction to it, and and so yeah, time and again, as we were out there, you know, working some stuff out, it was Ray that would come back and and just give these beautiful biblical images. Uh, of you know partnerships that yeah. needed to work and uh, and I think he's he's got one that we'll have a chance to listen to that I think captures almost the essence again of a leadership foundation at work in a city yeah let's listen in well I love to go around the country at this time saying that we have five books in the Bible from Iraq and Iran mm. the two from Iraq of course are Jonah and Daniel who end up going there after th- those Contacts do dastardly things against Israel. They kill the tw- 10 northern tribes, and then finally they kill the south. And then God sends these people over there uh, to serve them. Mm-hmm. But in the Iranian book, it's Ezra, Esther, and Nehemiah. And I'll put it like this. The Persian parliament had just passed a pogrom, kill all the Jews, Hitler's idea. I think Nehemiah is an organized guy. He worked for the government, so he called Ezra and Esther and said, what are we going to do? We're all dead. Esther said, here's my plan. I'll run for Miss Persia. If I win, I get to move into the palace. If I'm in the palace, I'll access power. I'll change the law. Good. Go for it. Okay. Nehemiah said, well, here's my plan. Uh, I'll get a government grant, letter of credit, leave of absence, and I'll go back and start a model city's development plan. Hmm. And I'll do community organizing. I'll get all the people in the community I'll have a letter of credit from the Persian government in my pocket, but I won't cash it and I won't call the Judean construction company (laughs) to build the wall. I'm going to do an empowerment model. I'm going to get everybody, perfumers, and they're all listed there in the book. Everybody gets a chance to help build that wall. Probably wasn't a great wall. Probably was wobbly and and strange, but the people loved it and it was their wall. So then the, the clergy person, Ezra, says, gee, Esther, you go inside the system, change the law, and she disappears. From history right um, and God's na- name is not in this book that's a reminder that somebody has to go where God's name isn't known in the smoky holes of politics sometimes mm-hmm. to access the power to change law so Nehemiah can get his stuff Nehemiah's got to go do that so that Ezra can finally come along rebuild the temple and reinstitute the law of God now that's a partnership and there's that word partnership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's where he ended up. And and not only uh, um, in in the context of uh, you know as he was talking about ancient Israel, but a, certainly applying it as well to you know the political, uh, you know the the social yeah. and the spiritual. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, <clears throat> again, when we've uh, I think I said earlier, Rick, trying to explain the wheel of change to people and. 
you know, why leadership foundations have really grabbed a hold of this is our, you know, principal mechanism to get work done. Mm-hmm. Um, it, here it was. It was sitting in these three books. Um, yeah, and I love the way that Esther, in many ways, does engage, right, the leaders of good faith and goodwill mm-hmm. yeah. uh, on behalf of, of that city. Um, and as Ray makes mention of, never mentions the word God, uh, the whole book. Um, and I think that leadership foundations, you know, we've had to do that kind of work. Uh, yeah. we've, we've recognized that there are people being impacted by systems, uh, by decisions of city councils, mayors, um, that that needs to be addressed, but you can't address it uh, in some kind of, you know, uh, proclaimed or evangelical way. You need to, you need to sn- s- kind of sneak in there and, and yeah. have these conversations. Well, that's the thing is that we talk a lot about getting a seat at the table, mm-hmm. but sometimes mm-hmm. we don't even know where the table is. Yeah. You know, and that's the key is to say uh, as we become familiar yeah. with the systems at play then yeah. we start to realize oh there's the table and you know now how yeah. do we get a seat there but that yeah. it's certainly so interesting when he talks about the iranian books you know the yeah. ezra uh, esther nehemiah that you know there are um these are different kinds of tables you know there's the mm-hmm. you know there's a different or at least you could say different ways to, uh doorways to the table yeah you know? and yeah. Uh, so yeah. it's such a a cool encouragement and also so to, yeah, and yeah. To maybe just build on that thought so with Esther taking on the leadership so then Ezra comes in and really uh, I think does uh, arguably um, builds the capacity of the people mm-hmm. right I mean mm-hmm. it's it's they need a place to worship so the temple becomes uh, an expression of building their capacity and then it is Nehemiah that comes in and creates this lovely joint initiative called the creation of a wall mm-hmm. so that's been a again a wonderfully helpful reminder from Ray uh, that yes, LF, I mean, this model that we now have, you know, the stages of impact connected to it and data trends and mm-hmm. we're filling things out online. I mean, I mean, all important, relevant, good stuff, but there is this deep and one might even go so far as to say ancient tradition mm-hmm. to the wheel that we are using. Yeah. And, the, and you think about Nehemiah and how uh, I'm sure that uh, many of the people uh, building the wall uh were people of good faith they understood god's you mm-hmm. know sort of providence in his direction mm-hmm. but a lot of people were just people of goodwill who just wanted to have a wall so they didn't want to uh, be safe yeah, yeah just to, just to make it safe yeah yep. so it's it's in there yeah every one of them is in there so yep. now um when we uh it's good to go back to this though because sometimes you know we can leave this stuff sort of in the dust and move on and you know it becomes uh you know uh, things become so contemporary that we forget uh, mm-hmm. you know, some of these foundational ideas or, you know, in my case, I'm just learning them. So, yeah. you know, yeah. And I, you know, I think again, the ramifications of, of Ray, I think, um, Rick, I mean, continue to echo, you know, throughout the, uh, the network. I mean, it's just time and time again, you know, we'll come up with a phrase or I'll hear something. And it's like, Oh yeah, that's, you know, that's Ray Bakke. Mm-hmm. But, but the idea that, um, again, and we hold on to this, this theology is big as a city that, that the text uh, is not something that is irrelevant. It's not something that, you know, you kind of need to have at the beginning of a meeting and the end of a meeting, but but can actually be central uh, to how you you know do your work uh, mm-hmm. in a city. Um, yeah. And and so that that gift of Ray uh, to us is uh, it's just invaluable. Yeah. And again, to to be able to even uh, reflect on that and then apply it to, uh, other places that we think, uh, have sprawled. Like, you know, do we have a theology as big as the internet? Mm-hmm. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Do we have mm-hmm. a theology as big as a globalized world? Mm-hmm. Right. 
you know, is God big enough for a cosmopolitan, you know, thinker, yep. you know? And so I think it's just really, really helpful. Yeah. And uh, so that's our time. Episode three, my favorite so Wonderful. far. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> of course, if you have any questions or you have any comments or you have some suggestions for future podcasts, you can send them to info at leadershipfoundations.org. And again, we would probably be uh, shocked to receive uh, any kind of uh, questions, input, or info. We say that every time, but mostly uh, we're on our own. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. But we actually, we did receive a couple uh, you know, have, last yeah. time. So that's great. Yeah. So we appreciate that. And until next time, I'm Rick Enlow. Dave Hillis. We'll see ya. See ya. See ya.